Hello, and welcome to The Funny Thing About Yoga, where we talk all things yoga and maybe make you laugh a little bit. I'm Gianna Gambino. And I'm Bradshaw Wish. Enjoy the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm having so much fun. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two. Do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow. And if you don't, you're going to be in big trouble. I'm going to find you. (laughs) (laughs) Big trouble. Yeah, big, big trouble. If you do not wait, rate, review, subscribe, or follow, there will be hell to pay. Okay? (laughs) He means it. Okay, so Gigi, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about different styles of yoga and how to find the right yoga style for you. Yeah, this is a really important topic because I think especially for beginners or even people who have been practicing yoga for a while to know that there's not yoga isn't just one type right? There are so many different styles of yoga from, let's say, Ashtanga to Bikram to Vinyasa to Iyengar uh, to restorative to yin. Uh, And so that can be really confusing for students. So Gian and I want to kind of give you a lay down of the land in terms of different styles of yoga and a little uh, kind of history lesson, if you will, backstory about how we arrived where we're at today in terms of the styles that we teach and other styles uh, that are offered. So G, give me the 411. Tell me about the umbrella LAA, the yoga (laughs) umbrella. (laughs) So I always talk about this umbrella being Hatha yoga, which is sometimes pronounced Hatha, but you'll (laughs) hear me saying, (laughs) we're going to get to a huge guy. Is it Hatha? Is it Hatha? Is it Hatha? You tell tell me I always say it wrong, but I think I say it right. Hatha. But you think I pronounce Hatha? No. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, you literally didn't even give me a moment to respond. <laughs> he just had a whole conversation with himself. <laughs> um, just for those listening, and I'm not an authority on Sanskrit. She's at an authority all. on everything. She literally is the authority of the universe. No, but um, traditionally, people will not pronounce the H and the second H in Hatha. But I so, didn't. I said Hatha. Well, I guess what? I did pronounce we're, the H. We're not. Wait, you're saying that you should say Atta? No, the second H. You're literally going to confuse all of the <laughs> listeners even more. And hey, everyone can't say it. I've been teaching for a decade. Hope you're well. Also, how did this conversation already become about you? I don't remember ever okay, telling because you. Because it's about me. Okay, tell them about the umbrella. So neither of us are authorities on this subject. We're still like sponges learning as we go and retaining and reinterpreting and all of those things. So we are not talking about traditional styles of yoga. I just want to preface that. And that's like your karma yoga, your mantra yoga, your bhakti, your raja, and so on. We're talking about more of the modern yoga practices, and this would fall under the umbrella of Hatha yoga. So vinyasa essentially comes from the Hatha lineage. Ashtanga comes from the Hatha lineage. Like 
if we were to make a family tree, and if you remember this beautiful illustration that was in Yoga Journal years and years ago, it was um, they they drew it out. So I will put that in the show notes because it is a beautiful depiction of all the different branches. That. You think I can just pull it up? Yeah, but also Bradshaw, it's in our YTT manual. How do you not know this? I do, but I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what I deal with. He like, like literally. Oh, now I, it's just it's just five umbrellas that are yoga class cute. <laughs> ah! <laughs> okay, no, so I'll link it in the show notes for those of you who are curious. But yeah, I'm curious too, even though it's in our training manual. So that's interesting. So you could literally just pull up our training manual because you probably have it in your computer yeah, well, somewhere. Yeah, probably somewhere. It's going to take me 25 hours to find it. Keep going. So we are going to focus on modern yoga. That's the point I'm making today. They And some of these modern yoga styles, like maybe you've never heard of them before. Maybe it's as uh, it's more prevalent in your community, in your area, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just start with some of the most common styles of yoga that we see on the schedule at studios and kind of break those down together. Why don't you give everyone the 411 of Ashtanga yoga? Because I feel that you know a great deal about it. So tell us what it means when someone says they practice Ashtanga yoga. Okay. So before I get into it, I just want to preface this with saying that Ashtanga yoga in this regard, the way we're going to talk about it is Ashtanga Vinyasa, the modern yoga practice that came about in the 1900s, created by Patabi Joyce. And I'm not talking about Ashtanga yoga like the eight limb path, just to put that as an aside. So what you may see at your local studio termed Ashtanga yoga is a type of flow yoga, and we're going to talk about other types of flow in a moment, but it is always a set series, meaning it always has the same sequence. So whenever you go to an Ashtanga class, you can expect the same class just delivered in a different way by a different teacher. So the poses will always appear in that same order and the most common series that people practice is the primary series or like the first series. Do you want to say anything about that before I continue? Have you done the primary series, Bradshaw? Yeah, I think I've done it once or twice. It's uh, I think for a lot of people, one of the reasons I like it is because you can do it without a teacher. And I think you were going to go into that as well. So you can, a lot of people will practice the primary primary series um, and they're not verbally led. They're just kind of led in a room. I've never done that, but I have done the primary series in a class, but I like the Mm -hmm. idea of having the opportunity to do the series kind of on my own at my own pace. And I think that for a lot of people, since it is the same thing over and over again, it's a very steady consistent, easy to track how you're doing type of practice. I agree with that. One of my favorite things about Ashtanga is that 
because it's always the same sequence, you can feel the evolution of how the practice feels in your body. So I remember when I was first trying it out, I had a very particular experience that was really challenging. Like I was struggling through chaturanga, up dog, down dog, like most people. I was struggling in holding postures for longer than like a breath. And I saw the progression of things become a little bit more spacious and like with a little bit more ease. I felt a little bit more ease as I continued to practice Ashtanga. You're saying like in doing the same thing over and over again. Yes. So the repetition allowed me to, to feel into things a little bit differently, partly because I just started lengthening certain areas of my body, strengthening other areas of my body. And eventually if you do anything enough, you'll see and feel a difference in it. Anything physical. (laughs) For sure. I also, I want to go back to something and just so you to kind of want to reiterate this and you can explain a little bit more because I think I kind of jumped the gun, which is like the, in a lot of classes, if you're doing the primary series, you typically in a lot of classes aren't led verbally. Can you, can you explain that more? Because I think I don't want to confuse anyone. So it really depends. You can do the primary series, which in a, in most classes you are led a teacher is what we mean by led is there is a teacher verbally leading you through the class and it's going to be a 90 minute class. You can do the half primary series, which shortens down the series into an hour long class or my speed or <laughs> yeah, or you can do my sore, which is what Bradshaw's referring to. And maybe you jumped the gun a little bit, but <laughs> my sore requires students to memorize the sequence and to be familiar with it so that they can arrive on their mat, show up and lead themselves through the practice pose by pose. And they'll move at their own pace according to, you know, their own rhythm of their breath. And this is where the teacher's not saying all of the verbal cues out loud. Instead, they kind of walk around the room, see where you're at, where you are in the practice, see what you're working on, and they'll give you individualized cues to what you're doing or maybe assist in the pose or maybe they help you workshop something it really depends on the teacher and and where and the studio and the culture of the environment and all of that for sure i think that um not to make a broad generalization but there tends to be i feel like a lot of hands on assist in ashtanga yoga classes especially i feel like maybe maybe less now considering you know everything that we've, we've hopefully learned from hands on assist and, and, you know, touching and consent and all those things. But I do feel like it's a very, uh, there are a lot of hands on assist from the teacher, from what um, I've experienced and from what I've seen in those classes. And then when it, when it comes to the term Mysore, Mysore is a place. So Gianna, do you want to tell a little bit about like Mysore and people traveling to go to practice there and that kind of being the I don't know if I'm going to say like the, the, the home, home. I was going to say the Holy land, but that does not, I don't think that that sounds <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So serious Ashtanga practitioners will apply. I believe you have to apply to go practice in Mysore, India, and the descendants of Patabi Joyce are running the center there. And basically 
you, if you get accepted to go there, you can practice and you practice with the intention of like testing out of the primary series of like, of like you have mastered the primary series. Now you can go on to the intermediate series, Mm. which is the second sequence Mm. that has a little bit more uh, advanced practice um, sorry, advanced postures in the practice. And by advanced, I mean physically demanding. So there's a little bit more arm balances and other challenging. That's also not to things. say that the primary isn't challenging because it's also that's also challenging. Uh, it, it just really gets is. more and there's... more challenging. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> it does. My, um, for personally in my body, now that you were talking about it and you asked me like how I feel about Ashtanga, the thing that I have a really hard time with physically is that there is a lot of sitting forward bends and a lot of asymmetrical forward bends and the mariachana uh, I'm sorry I'm just going to no. wait and hear you hear you I got it I got it I got it crickets no I got crickets, it, I got it. uh now I'm not going to be able to <laughs> mar <laughs> Mariachana. I'm not cutting this out. No, that's not right. Mariachana. I knew there was something wrong. Yeah, I, I teach yoga full time. I do not do Dashtanga. But in that, in that, or speaks Sanskrit. <laughs> but we, tr- we try. But we know the Sanskrit. And we, we do. Try. We know. We do. We I feel go. like I know a lot of Sanskrit. It's. All, I do actually use a lot of Sanskrit in class. I just never teach those postures, so I don't know what they're called. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but what whatever, besides what they're called, there's a lot of sitting forward bends. There's a lot of sitting asymmetrical forward bends, which are I just have a SI joint lumbar pain, as you know, and as a lot of people probably listening to this podcast, unfortunately, that tends to be very common for yoga practitioners. So that um I find can be problematic for my physical body as in it's not bad. And a lot of people love it. It's just in my personal body, my experience, it does not feel good. Yeah, I agree with you, but in a different way, like asymmetrical twists, definitely aggravate some SI joint stuff for me. But also I think I got to a certain point in my flexibility that I was just doing too much of one Mm -hmm. thing where that started to lead to repetitive stress issues. Mm -hmm. And I really found that I just needed to balance out all of the lengthening that the Ashtanga yoga practice brings to the sequence with a bit more strengthening that you don't necessarily get from yoga alone. Yeah, for sure. And you know what else there's quite a bit of in that's in the sitting series as well as there's a lot of binding and binding. You do not like, well, it's not that I, I'm just not, I'll be very frank with everyone. I'm not good at binding. I'm just like, it's not, it's not my, I like, I would rather handstands, inversions, arm balances. Yeah, I can do that stuff. But the binding, as soon as you sit, put me in a forward fold and tell me to bind, I'm like, get me out of here. And Mm -hmm. not because it's, yes, it's challenging for me, but a lot, often it feels painful. In your shoulders? In my shoulders and in my back. It feels Mm -hmm. really um, restrictive and, and, and honestly just doesn't feel good. And I think that there's a big difference between things not feeling good and things being uncomfortable. And that's been a challenging thing for me to kind of navigate. And it's, 
It's so personal. And yeah, a lot of people love really that. A lot of people do those postures and like that feels mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and I mm-hmm. bet it does. I th- again, it's just like, it's different for everyone. I bet it'd be interesting when people come on the podcast to ask them like, what pose do you just like, does not feel good physically in your body? Mm-hmm. I think that, or you like, what pose feels the best? You know, we all have our own experiences. Yeah. When we teach our um, backbending workshop, we always ask who likes backbends, who doesn't mm. like backbends. And it's always such a mixed bag. Mm, I have really, so. you know, I would, I, I have beautiful backbends. Okay. That's, um, <laughs> let's see proof. <laughs> I, I do Fresh a drop back sometimes. right here. <laughs> and no one sees, and no one sees like, me. I'm like, cool. I'm like, and then I come, cool. I just pretend to come up. I'm like, I did it. <laughs> Uh, okay so next we're going to break down vinyasa because this is the little sister or bradshaw likes to say the wild rebellious cousin the wild rebellious non-binary version (laughs) of ashtanga Ashtanga. which also comes from hatha we're gonna cue we're gonna we're gonna give everyone a a quiz at the end of this. Just kidding. I do you ever have dreams that you take tests? I still have dreams that no. I take tests, especially math tests, because and I'm like, I don't I, know what I'm doing. <laughs> but the thing is, in college, I didn't. That's exactly what my like. I got the test and I was like, what is this? I don't remember learning any of this. <laughs> well, you literally have a marketing degree, and I ask you to market, and you're like, I don't know. Okay, you're like, I don't know how to market. <laughs> See how mean she is. Okay, I'm kidding. She's kidding. She's not kidding. Okay, oh so hold on, hold on. You are tangenting. Um, I'm going to make that a verb. So Bradshaw, do you want to talk about vinyasa? Because I would say that's probably the most yeah, common. Yeah, I would say that you're you're going to, the typical, I, how, again, I'm just throwing a number out here, but I would say maybe like 50 to like 60% of yoga classes in, at least in Chicago, maybe a little bit more. These these are Bradshaw made up. Okay, well, I think a lot. I just want to preface that so people are like, yeah, is that a real it's not a real I, Okay, I shouldn't throw out just statistics that I don't know. I'm like 155%. No. <laughs> now, when we're talking about vinyasa yoga, mm-hmm. you're looking at a practice that is a rhythmic-based practice, right? And that's one of the really big things I like to remind students is vinyasa is a practice where you're linking breath and movement. And so typically in a vinyasa class for for a lot of classes, you're going to be moving at a kind of breath per movement pace. And that's where you hear that term flow, right? You're going to be flowing through postures. Occasionally you'll hold postures for more than just a breath, but no longer, you know, I would say maybe at the most, at the most five to 10 breaths, but I think 10 would be on the higher end of uh, holds. And then the sequencing in vinyasa classes also isn't the same like in other styles of yoga. So you can go to a vinyasa class and the sequencing could be different uh, based on the teacher. Totally. Within vinyasa, you can also have like subcategories of vinyasa of like a vinyasa one or a beginner's vinyasa or a vinyasa two, maybe intermediate, a vinyasa three, which would be more advanced or challenging. Is so it, yeah. those when are- When we say advanced, we mean physically yeah. advanced. 
Yeah, like maybe in a vinyasa three, you might have the introduction of an arm balance or an inversion or something like that. So that's just a very basic general breakdown of vinyasa. And if you were looking to start a yoga practice, if you're looking at your local studio schedule, what that kind of means. I also want to say that like, if you are someone who's interested, let's say, uh, in vinyasa yoga, a lot of people that tend to be really physical, they like to move, they tend to be drawn to this style of yoga is like, you know, go to one person's class and maybe you love it, that class, or you're like, oh, I'm not the biggest fan. Go take someone else's vinyasa class because it could be a lot different than the first vinyasa class that you took. So I would say, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I always think like finding your yoga teachers, like finding your therapist, it's like, Maybe it's not a click right away. You have to try a couple out, but then like once you feel inspired and welcome and just the excitement to continue, that's when you know you you found the one. (laughs) Okay. So then I think we should talk about what we may see on schedules termed as Hatha yoga. So this is different than what I was talking about that umbrella of Hatha yoga. This is now what you would see at a modern studio in your city offering, I'm putting air quotes, Hatha yoga. And in this style of practice, you will have similar posture, similar asana. However, it won't be strung together the way vinyasa is through that chaturanga up dog, down dog. It's going to be a class that Maybe you hold the postures a little bit longer for. Maybe you might experience a teacher giving more alignment-based cues and calls to sensation around different areas of your body. And it in within this style, there's a little bit of freedom as there is with vinyasa, where you can sequence it in a way that makes sense for what you're trying to teach. And um, one last thing I'll add about that is like, so how do you transition through pose to pose? So if you're used to vinyasa, you might be like, wait, this feels weird to not chaturanga up dog, down dog after, you know, my lunges or whatever it is. In Hatha yoga, you'll just step forward or step back and that's it. It's simple and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Because just with my back, I've had lower back issues, as you know, G, like with my SI joint and like my lumbar, all the up dog and down dog can kind of be a lot. And I really love the simplicity of um, holding postures, stepping forward, stepping back on the mat, not having to do the chaturanga. And with the simplicity also, you're able to, in my opinion, at least from my experience, feel the nuances of being in the posture even more. Right. Cause you're not flowing, you know, necessarily. You're not, you're actually not at all. So taking that, and again, flow is great. There's definitely been times in my life where I love uh, flowing. I think maybe just right now I'm enjoying those longer holds. I'm enjoying the simplicity, feeling the sensations in my body. Um, so right now, I would say this is kind of where I align the most personally for my practice. Tell me if you agree with me, G. I think that like a hatha, like a very uh, fundamental hatha style yoga class for uh, a person who's maybe never done yoga before is a good place to start. Totally. I think this style 
can be a great entry point for those who have never practiced yoga before, for those with aging bodies, for those who want to not feed into the the flow. So this is kind of like side note, but I always feel like people have anxious minds where go, go, go. They're drawn, they're drawn to vinyasa because that's a go, go, go practice. But like maybe you want to counteract that. Maybe what you really need is to slow it down. Are you talking about me in front of everyone? Yes, but also me. Like have you have you met me? (laughs) And that's actually I I didn't make that up. That is like a total Ayurveda mm-hmm. principle. Like the style of yoga that actually benefits you is probably mm-hmm. what you're lacking or what you need yeah. most. Yeah. So for anyone listening, I would say definitely take a Hatha yoga class. It's, you know, I'm going to fangirl over here and say that it's one of my favorites. Don't tell. But I also think it's harder. It's harder to find on schedules in it in is. Chicago. I it is. I taught way more Hatha classes when I was living in South Florida than I did in Chicago. And I think that's that's just the culture of the city. Yes. And I would like to say it's something that I struggle with from a teaching standpoint because let I have a lot, a lot of people, especially on the weekends that come to class. Um, my weekend classes have been packed. You know, so there's like sometimes 60 to 70 people in there. And there's always maybe two or three students that maybe haven't practiced a ton prior or uh, they're just trying to like get their feet wet. And like, I feel like that's really hard to do in a vinyasa class. I just do. I just think that the pacing's really fast. Um, and if you don't know the postures, it can be overwhelming. And I wish that there were more Hatha style classes on schedules at studios and in gyms, just because I feel like it's a it's much easier to grasp. And I feel like, again, vinyasa is great, but it can be overwhelming for a lot of newer people. I agree with you. Thank you. So Bradshaw, have you taken a lot of Bikram classes? No. <laughs> no <laughs> just a simple no. Just Next a simple pod- no, that's it. Podcast is no, over. That, that's it. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Uh, no, I've I've done a couple. Um, I've had some partners in my life that have really, really enjoyed that practice. I often find that... Um, that the yeah it's just hot it's just really hot yeah it's like 105 degrees yeah. at least i think maybe i was like younger and just start like because you did a lot with your brother like your brother when you were a little young i don't know some, i don't know i just it's just yeah it's just not for me and that's okay people I love did it. it a lot when i was younger but also in south florida i was like going from yeah they're the like let's be 105 heat. degrees and let's be nine thousand degrees and that's actually, I think there's one more thing, one more thing with this. And we can do like another podcast about this and like, no one come for me, please. But all I'm saying is that I think that there's often a miss there's, there's people don't understand what it means to be dehydrated. And they think, that, you know, I think that people, if they think they're sweating a lot, that they're like detoxifying their body. Oh yeah. Um, this is a whole other. That's a, and like, it's a whole, it's again, it's a whole other conversation, but I'm, I'm just bringing it up now because I think that it's, you know, we can talk about this in a later um, episode, but like, you know, I think that I, 
I understand why people think that that's, you know, it's not completely illogical in terms of like, why would you think that it's just not necessarily scientific proof. But I do think that this kind of heat, it provides more of like a mental, like, oh, I sweat it out. Like it's like a more of a mental clarity than you actually detoxifying your body. But let's just talk about Bikram and then we'll move on from there. Um, Bikram yoga where you're, this is again, like Ashtanga but different than Ashtanga because uh, you're not flowing. In Bikram, you're doing the same 26 poses twice through every single time. I would say that this is probably one of the, it, it's not, I don't think it's as popular as it was, but I still think it's popular. I think maybe it, it's had its major heyday 10 years ago. Well, it's fallen in. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, Bikram's, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't agree with Bikram as a person. We don't respect Bikram as a person. That's a whole other story in podcasts, but let's just kind of put that aside. <laughs> just like PSA, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that we can't talk about Bikram yoga without acknowledging that it's fallen from the good graces because of who Bikram is as a person. We don't need yes. to go into the details of it, but essentially, I think in the early 2000s to the, I don't, till the controversy, essentially, Bikram was one of the most popular styles of yoga practice in the United States. I think in the world, G, I think in the world. Probably. I just don't know how to speak for the whole world. (laughs) I know. Everyone called me. Everyone, everyone from everyone from 2008 gave me a ring on the phone. They said I was doing this style and this style and Bikram won. Yeah, maybe but, I do make these kind of broad blanket statements that I should. I'm like, I'll tell you that everyone was doing it. Where <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to speak really conservatively because I'm like, yeah. I have such. And I'm a- like, oh, wait, anyone can hear this? Oh, I'll tell you the facts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm very aware that this recording could last forever. And I'm like, do I want this on record? Um, do I want any misinformation on record? Um, but no, we. I preface this that like we're sharing our experience our perception and our yes. experience and a, and a lot of local knowledge of like what's popular in the places that we've lived. So, um, but to go back to Bikram and like Bradshaw said, it's the same 26 postures repeated twice through 90 minute class heated room. And it is, it, it was wildly, wildly successful as a business and practice and profitable and all those things. And um, I think people think Bikram is synonymous with hot yoga. However, it is not necessarily. Yeah, because, okay, so this really confused me when I first started practicing yoga, and I'll tell you why. At Bare Feet Power Yoga, it says hot power yoga studio, hot power yoga, but it has the word hot. So when I was telling people I was practicing hot yoga, because that's what I thought it was called, they would assume that I was practicing Bikram, but I wasn't. I was just practicing heated vinyasa. It is confusing because if you look at Bikram or the Bikram sequence, there's no vinyasa at all. There's no there's no chaturanga up dog down dog. It is not a flow class. Essentially, it is a hatha style class, like we just spoke mm-hmm. of, but in a heated room. So you with go, the same posture. You do your with the same posture. So you, you do your breathing, you go start the sequence, you do that pose twice in a row, and then you go to the next pose. Mm-hmm. 
and then the next one and the next one and so on until you get to the final Kapala Bhati like breath. And so you're not flowing through, but regardless of the the lack of flowing, you are working up internal heat. You are sweating. There's some really strict real rules. Like you can't drink your water until you're like an hour into the class or, you know, doors firmly locked the minute the class starts and so on. And I think this again provides some sort of structure, but I don't know necessarily if I think that it needs to have all of those limitations. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember suffering of like wanting my water mm. so badly, but I'm like, they didn't tell me I could have a sip yet. <laughs> I also think that again, I don't want to speak broadly, but I think that some people that are attracted to that are, you know, are gluttons for punishment in some ways, <laughs> you know, like they like that, that, like it, that kind of militaristic, you know, rule stuff which is just not my gem. Nothing wrong with it. If you do it, cool, cool beans. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong, wrong with, with being fucking crazy. Self- there's, a- <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing um, wrong with self-punishing. Uh, it's literally there's nothing you wrong with said. hating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but also I wanted to say, I wanted to say just because we just put, <laughs> brought this up a moment ago between they said hot power yoga. Like I think what happened though, Gigi, and this is like something that just came up in my mind it, it this just came up in my mind, which is I think that because Bikram was so popular in you know the early 2000s, that that's actually where the heat came into vinyasa because it was heated at 113 degrees. And then slowly, I think they're like, oh, well, this style is really popular. So let's just do what we're doing and make it hot. Well, literally, that's what happened. And so let me just tell you what happened. I figured it out. I figured <laughs> it out. Don't tell. I'm going to Broadway. The real thing, the real story goes like it was wildly successful, wildly popular. And so many studios started teaching Bikram, but Bikram had it trademarked. And then all of a sudden he's going after like the small mom and pop yoga studio in like Oklahoma and literally bankrupting them. So people weren't able to to do the Bikram sequence and then they just started calling it hot yoga or, or hot 26 or, you know, whatever adaptation. And then it became like, okay, we don't even want to get sued for like adapting it. Let's just do yoga in a hot room and make it different. Now that and we're so, talking about this G and like, I know we've talked about this before. It is kind of wild. It is like, like it is, it is just kind of Gianna keeps telling you to move away from the mic. Um, she <laughs> I'm we're she's on Zoom, so I'm like she, we're I'm doing a gesture like, like back like, it up. So if so if I'm screaming in your ear, it's because I love you. Um no, <laughs> but it is kind of wild and also confusing, even for like, you know, we've known about this and been teaching for a while. And still when I think about it, I'm like, damn, this is there's a lot of moving parts here. Totally. But I think this is a good segue into just hot yoga and without like spending so much more time in it. Hot yoga can be a hatha style class in a heated room. It can be a hot 26, essentially, like a, an adaptation of Bikram in a hot room. And this might be uh, the heat settings will be different according to where you practice. Some people love to bump it up to 113. Some people like to keep it at a 
85, 95 degree room. So it really depends if it's like a mild heat or full blast heat. And now there's studios that have infrared heat rather than like that forced dry heat and so on. Yeah, that was a lot of information. We love you guys so much. Thanks for sticking around. (laughs) So let's talk about yin yoga, which I think is another style that people often see on the schedule at studios. So yin yoga is the opposite of yang yoga, which is what (laughs) those moving energetic practices are. So like your vinyasa, your ashtanga, those those like really physical movement-based practice would be considered yang. Yin is the opposite. It's a slow-paced style of yoga. And I believe this was um, started by Polly Zink. And it has a foundation in in traditional Chinese medicine. So the yoga postures, the asana, are typically held for longer periods of time, maybe five minutes, three minutes. It could be upwards of five minutes. It really depends on, on the sequence and what you're working on in that class. And you'll stay there. You just kind of stay there, hold it, breathe settle into your body, feel all the sensations, the feelings. And um, this style of yoga is meant to like stimulate the channels of your subtle body, the meridians that um, are typical in Chinese medicine or the nadis, which is more of the hatha yoga um, reference. So the meridians are the nadis. And then at the same time, because these poses are held uh, longer and you want your bones to be supported so that your muscles can disengage and relax. It is said to work into the connective tissues, the tendons, the fascia, the ligaments, and maybe that helps increase circulation. Maybe it helps improve flexibility. Maybe it provides relief. I say this all as like speculative because I don't really know, or I don't know if I don't really know um, the bottom line scientific truth of that. Um, But yeah, so it's an approach to yoga where you bring awareness to your body. You sit in silence. There's often like very little music. If there is music, it's going to be soft and subtle and trance-like. And and that's that. Do you want to add anything to that? Did you say, you did say how many poses they do typically, right? Well, if, if you think about, holding a pose for five minutes and you're in an hour. That's what I'm saying. I usually do about five. I usually do about five poses when I teach you. Yeah. So you are not going for quantity in your quantity of poses in your yin class. It also takes time to transition because you don't want to. So it's not like you divide the hour by five and that's how many poses you do. You Mm -hmm. need to leave space between Mm -hmm. to just be in silence and listen to your body and just like take in the experience of what you just did. So if you're holding, you know, Upavishtakonasana, or they call it a dragonfly, (laughs) I might be wrong with that. But if you're holding that middle split for five minutes, you need time to come out of it and to just sit in silence, to let your awareness scan your body, to even form that connection of like, 
what did I just do? How did that feel? Do I feel okay? Did I like it? Where do I feel this? And so on. And then you move on and you breathe. So you, you sit with it and then you move on to the next. And so this is very like traditional yin style that I'm talking about. I've been to yin classes that were um, not typical yin classes where maybe we did a little bit more like seated stuff, like twist to the right, twist to the left, a little bit more movement based. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I think some people are expanding the definition, but I just want to clarify. A lot of studios sometimes will do things like a vinyin class, which is like a vinyasa and a yin class. Um, so like the first half an hour you're practicing vinyasa and the last half an hour you're practicing yin. Again, as things constantly are growing and moving and changing, uh, a lot of things often will intersect. And I think that we're seeing more of that now. So Bradshaw, you've been subbing a lot of yin classes lately, and I know you really enjoy teaching it. So I want to hear you tell us what you enjoy about teaching yin. I'm going to be real with you. And this is really, really simple. Silence. <laughs> he likes just, to work no, less. No, no. <laughs> no, it's like you put him in the pose and you just chill. Just <laughs> You know, you're just there. You're not, you're not defending my statement at all. You're like, yeah, you just don't really have to talk that much. No, well, you don't really, you don't, you can just, well, cause I like, I know you're not supposed to, I'm teasing. You're not supposed to teach as much, but you're not supposed to teach as much. You're not supposed to talk as much. Okay. But, but also I usually teach it after teaching like two or three vinyasa classes that day. So to be able to just like put someone in a pose and like not say anything else is I find very nice. And I also think it provides, I, I think that sometimes I teach so much vinyasa that it's kind of a brush of breath of fresh air to do something a little different or very different. I agree. I like teaching different styles and forms of yoga because of that same reason. There was a moment where I was teaching 22 plus classes a week. So the fact another that episode, I- Another episode, another yeah. episode. Burnout. Yeah, we will talk about burnout one day. But it was really nice. Okay, you have to stop. <laughs> like just just stop. No, but it was really nice to have a variety so that I didn't feel super repetitive for myself. Cause I know that you and I see, talked about this. We sequence our vinyasa like very strategically to have repetitive or similar sequences every class. So for me, mixing it up, I'm like, okay, I've got my yin, I've got my prenatal, I've got my Mm -hmm. hatha, I've got my ashtanga-ish. I don't teach ashtanga fully, but I was working in a place where I would do the half primary um, and so on. So I'm multi-talented. I thought you said in Saiwan and I was like, where's that? Wait, when? You said it, but you just said and so on. And so, oh yeah. But there's in Saiwan, and I was like, Do I like, do I like mumble? I think that when you go to schools like Carnegie Mellon, that's what happens. (laughs) No one come at me this time in our reviews. I will enunciate better. My name's Gianna. I went to Carnegie Mellon. Okay. I told him, he asked me where I went to college once, and I told him, and he acts like I bring it up all the time. I actually. Don't think I've ever mentioned it to anyone else ever. <laughs> I just tell them, you you like go with a date on someone on Tinder. I'm like, you know, she went to Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> Why would you be talking to someone I'm talking to on Tinder? Because I'm a creep. 
That's another episode too. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh. I think what's really important to talk to now, right after talking about yin, is restorative. Just because, Gianna, I think that people get so confused thinking that yin is restorative and restorative is yin, and that's not the case. Um, So I think that Gianna, just because of her knowledge of just doing a a training with uh, an amazing teacher named Judith Hanson Lasseter out in San Francisco, Gianna just did a restorative training that she can really, I got COVID, so I wasn't able to go. Um, Gianna can give you really good insight into the difference and then also what restorative is. So restorative yoga is also a slower paced yoga, form of yoga, and it puts emphasis on resting and restoring. And so you invite in the use of props in this practice so that you can build from the ground up, so to speak, a support system with your props so that your body can rest on it, so that you can be disengaged and feel like you're being cradled in a womb or something like that so that you can actually just rest and restore so that we can affect the nervous system. For example, if you were lying down uh, and doing the butterfly shape with your legs, feet together, knees out, known as Supta Baddha Konasana, you might put blocks underneath your knees. You might put blocks behind your spine and maybe a bolster on an angle, maybe two bolsters. Maybe you need a bolster and a blanket. There's literally no limit to how many props you can use so that you can feel as supported on your props as possible so that we eliminate the stress that you're putting in your ligaments and joints. And so that's where I would say... um it differs. In yin, you would try the pose first without your blocks. You would kind of just feel sensation and receive that feedback. And then, of course, if you're like, oh my God, this is not working for me, then take your props. You can totally take props in yin. In restorative, you start from the 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 starting point is let me start building up you know this support structure for the posture. And these postures are ho- held longer than yin. So where you might typically hold a yin pose for, I mean, just on the short end, three minutes, average end, five minutes, longer end, 10 minutes, you may hold a restorative pose for a minimum of seven minutes. Five five minutes would be like two too, too short for a restorative pose. So seven, 10 minute holds, that's like a good entry point, but maybe you have a 20 minute hold or a 30 minute hold, like a, the Shavasana. Like you could possibly literally do like three poses in a restorative class and that's it. Two, two poses in a restorative class and that's mm-hmm. it. Three is typical. Two, mm-hmm. two is, would be a little bit less, <laughs> less, less <laughs> typical. Um, she's going to, she's going to Harvard. Everyone. But if you did four poses or more, I would be like, that's not restorative. That's not restorative. You need time to get past the point of um, distraction and past the point of, of no return. Yeah. Basically where you can actually let go because 
all of our minds are overactive. We're thinking about a million things and whether it's, you know, the stress you're feeling in a long yin hold or being uncomfortable, just being still for so long in a supportive pose, like we need to pass, get past that point to then actually let go and rest into it and receive, literally just receive the benefits of doing nothing. You know, and I would like to add, I think that what restorative yoga does the best and what I think other styles of yoga are, are, are maybe missing a little bit is this like major, major, major focus on regulating your nervous system, on like moving into that rest, restore, uh, which I just think so many of us need because of the world that we live in. Uh, I wish there were more restorative classes around. It requires a lot of props, which costs money, a lot of in space, right? So a lot of studios don't have um, that space to store props or uh, the space in order to do, you know, the class with however many people. But I also think that a lot of people, when they go to yoga, they want to move, they want to quote unquote flow. And I get that. And I think that's all well and good. But I think in terms of our overall um, nervous system, I really, really feel that restorative yoga focuses on that, which is so, so, so beneficial. And I agree with you totally. It's um, most people want to move and breathe and they want to feel, and maybe this is just my understanding of like, they want to feel like they got a workout. Like sometimes they want to feel like they did something. Yeah, they, they want to feel like they like did they, something. If they didn't sweat, it wasn't a good class. And this is mm. my perception as a teacher where like, I know that like when I teach a more challenging vinyasa class, I get way more praise. More comp- yeah, <laughs> People course. are like, that was the best class. And I'm like, really? I just like killed you for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people like that. But, but this speaks to our culture, Bradshaw was mm-hmm. referencing. And I think, People need to learn the benefits of restorative yoga and have permission to just do chill, chill to do just nothing, do nothing, to do nothing and yeah. let go. Just just mm. receive those benefits, and then you'll understand why the world needs mm. restorative yoga. And all jokes aside, you know, I really love the imagery of you of you that you just said of like the womb. Right. That like that sense of being carried, of being supported um, is is really beautiful. And I think a lot of people are missing that in their lives, you know, a sense of like really actually being like, you know, um, I'm I'm here. You can let it all let it all go. I'm here to support every aspect of of your of your body. Every restorative pose after you build the structure that you support your body on, you want to be wrapped up in a blanket. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that cradling womb-like uh, analogy comes from. And when I hear that, I'm like, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I think this is a good, like... Um, a good synopsis of all of yeah from vinyasa to restorative yeah the most prominent styles you may see on your local studio schedule of course there are so many other styles that i did not detail like 
Baptiste or Kripalu or Shivananda Forest. or Forrest. Exactly. We could go on and on. Angar. And this, yeah. yeah, this can be a five hour episode if we were mm-hmm. to go there or Kundalini and so on. I'm like, mm-hmm. I like yeah, they're all like coming into they're all head. coming to I, my head. <laughs> I just I think that like what Gian and I want the people that are listening to realize that just because you go to one style of yoga class does not mean that's the only style of yoga class. There's so much out there. And sometimes it just requires a little searching. And maybe you uh, take a vinyasa class, like I had mentioned, take someone else's vinyasa class. Don't like think that's the style, that's it. Like people do things differently. Um, They have different approaches. They have different um, energies. So it's just important that as as we end this episode that you know there is a style out for you it's not one size fits all. And hopefully we gave you some insight and some clarity into some styles that you're going to see at your yoga studio or you'll see online or you're going to see at the gym. I agree. So there is a style out there for you and it might take a little bit of time or work to find the one that you're resonating with, but don't give up because we believe in the yoga practice. If you're here listening to us, you have some vested interest in the yoga practice. So keep at it. Find your yoga home. Okay, now it's time to talk about the funny thing about yoga. And if you're new to the podcast, because this is our only our second episode, this is where Bradshaw and I tell funny stories that are either about experiences we had as students or teachers or so on. Okay, I got one for you. Okay. So uh, this woman who used to own Zen Yoga Garage wanted me to teach at the studio for a long time and I really wanted to teach there. And one day she's like, okay, you can you sub this class? Like I really need someone. So I came to sub it and it was a hot, <laughs> it was like a Bikram style class. They call it hot at, at Zen, but it's like typically it's a Bikram style class or like a very, very simple Hatha style class. And I just straight up taught a vinyasa class because I didn't know how to, I didn't even know how to teach like hot at the time. Like I didn't know what, and I was just teaching like a power flow and it was 105 degrees and people were dying. <laughs> people are like, sweating, and I was like, I was like, today we're doing something different. And like the different thing was doing a completely different form. <laughs> I'm like, grab the weights. <laughs> he did not do that. I but didn't do that, no. yeah, I bet people, I bet some people loved it. It was fine. I mean, as long as you move people, they're happy. Yeah. But as long yeah. as you move people, <laughs> well, physically and mentally, as long as you move them physically and mentally, they're good to go. GTG. Okay. So both of us have funny stories about different styles of yoga. So my story is about a Bikram class that I made my mom come take with me. And she doesn't typically practice hot yoga, let alone like any sort of super physically demanding yoga. And so this is definitely going to be an eye-opening experience for her. And this particular studio was like old school Bikram studio. I don't remember if we mentioned this, but I don't think so. But but traditionally Bikram studios had carpet. Did you know this or have you been in a carpet? Yeah, I knew they had carpet. Literally, I'm just like, I'm going to throw up just thinking about it. Yeah. So it was carpeted room in South Florida, heated to at least 105. And it smells. There'd be one class after the next. And it doesn't smell good when you enter the room, typically. Sometimes, I mean, nowadays, I'm sure with all the cleaning protocols, studios are smelling better than ever. But I remember back then, it was just like you were 
walking into a sweaty armpit. And so immediately, if this is your first experience, you're just like, oh, what is this? And we set up, We she wanted to stay near the door just in case, even though they never open that door and they really encourage you not to leave the room. So you're like not supposed to leave the room if you can help it at all. And so she set up in the back near the door, very, very filled with fear and so on. So we do the class. She's like suffering through it. I think she just like lays down halfway and she was like breathing heavy. And I, I was concerned, but I was also like, is she being dramatic? Like I wasn't sure. (laughs) And this is not the funny part. It could be either or. (laughs) It could be either, but this is actually not the funny part. So, so finally she's like, I have to go. Like, I can't take it. And she, she leaves the room, which like breaks a Bikram rule. And I was like, okay, well, she like, I got to go with her. And she's like, I'm having trouble breathing. This is like, there's something wrong here. And I really couldn't tell if it was like just the heat and the exhaustion and the demand or if like what else was happening. And so I, we left the Bikram studio and we immediately went to a hospital. She was like, I need to figure out like what the hell's happening. <laughs> and this, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's kind of crazy that this actually happened. So we went to the hospital and she got all kinds of tests and it was like some kind of exposure to mold that she was having a reaction to from the room. Yeah. From the rug. From the rug. I think it's from the rug. Okay. And then this is the craziest part. She spent 13 days in the hospital. What? I know. Bradshaw's, yeah. Bradshaw's draws drop. So I don't know why this is the funny thing about yoga, but it's kind of like yeah, it's, it's funny and it's also insane. But also what's what's even crazier is that on the 13th day, she turned into Bikram. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, oh no, my mom's Bikram. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. <laughs> and on the 13th day, she rose up from her <laughs> It's like not even and she funny. was it's really not even funny. She as was a half Patabi Joyce and she was half. <laughs> okay. So. And her moon was an Iyengar. <laughs> the, the astrology of, of yoga leaders or founders. I don't My know. My son is Vinyasa. Okay. Stop. Stop. Okay. That's, okay, it. So, that's it. We're done. So before we close up, we just want to let you know, we have a guest next week. Jack Workman will be coming on the podcast and we're so excited to start inviting in other people into our chat. So please Could tune I, in. Was, you need to I tell stop interrupting. I know, but I wanted to tell you this. How can I tell you the secret about him though? Yes. He's gay too. <laughs> You're stupid. You're so stupid. Flaming homosexual. Just wait. Okay. On that note, thank you all for tuning in. We love you until next week. Stop. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, gay, matter but, but we get it. I'm trying to end that our it. listeners. It's important that our listeners know, Gianna. We want to be honest with them. I'm trying to end the episode. Help. Okay. We love you all. Thank you so much. Check it out next week. See you soon. Bye. So I creep. Yeah, just keep it on the down low. Because nobody else supposed to know. So I creep. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs)
Okay, that's it. Cut, cut, cut.